This is the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and I'm your host, Kat Bean Hansen. Welcome. We're glad you're here. For our last message of the year 2023, we are reaching back into our archives to offer a message from one beloved member of our beloved community who died this year. Delburn Carpenter was very active in our congregation, including with the Religious Services Council, and gave many messages over many years, including this one. From January 6, 2019, this is Del Carpenter of Blessed Memory with his message, 50 Years Growing as a UU. A response to the meditation, which is not a part of my prepared remarks, but I thought about it, and I, couldn't, I can't keep quiet about it. Music is one of those wonderful things, different notes played together, producing a chord, metaphors for a congregation, different notes played at different times, emphasizing one particular thing at this time and a different thing at another time. Again, a metaphor for a congregation. The title for my sermon this morning is 50 Years Growing as a UU. I hope 50 Years Backsliding as a UU would not also be an apt title, or 50 Years And all I gave them was, some may remember Andy Griffith's comic line, what it was, was football. Maybe after my sermon this morning, you will be able to say, what it was, was meaningful. Or maybe what it was, was spiritual. For me personally, some of my 50 years as a UU was definitely meaningful spiritual growth. I can hope there is a lot more to come. This sermon is also about congregational and denominational development. Some of the personal growth that came into my life happened because of the developmental growth that happened in this or other congregations in our denomination. I didn't grow in a vacuum. I was prodded by the UUs around me. The anniversary Sunday we are celebrating today, in addition to my 50th, the the month of my 50th year, is the 144th anniversary of the January 5th, 1875, establishment of the Universalist Church Congregation in Waterloo, Iowa. That's somewhat a testament to the Universalist idea that Christian salvation will eventually occur for everyone. Universalists believe that each of us would eventually come to realize the love of God and accept the offered salvation no matter 
whether we were already believers when we died, or whether we will spend some time in hell before we finally see the light. But I started out as a Methodist, and Christine as a Presbyterian. Christine describes both of our prior church backgrounds as relatively benign. Hellfire and damnation were mentioned, but heaven was the expectation. Due to my parents and my own enjoyment, I attended Sunday school with an excellent attendance record. I started singing in a church choir in seventh grade with other kids of my age because the small congregation needed the voices. I was still a tenor. In high school, I gave the sermon one Sunday when I was a senior. My mother wanted me to be a minister, though she did not push. When I went to college at UNI, I was active in Wesley Foundation for a couple of years, and while I was a junior, a thought came to me that essentially ended my formal connection with Christianity. I realized no parent would ever condemn their worst child to eternal punishment. I couldn't reconcile the idea of a loving God with my ordinary understanding of heaven and hell. I don't know if I would be a Christian universalist now if I had already known about the universalist theology of universal salvation when I had my own epiphany. Given my pretty steadfast agnosticism since then, I think the answer is probably not. I was told around 1967 or 1968 by a friend that I might be a Unitarian Universalist. Another friend said the same thing late in 1968. Christine was interested in this UU congregation because one of her favorite high school teachers, Mary Lou Page, was a member here. A group of us, including Christine, started attending here in January 1969. I drove. I provided rides for college students. We've been UU since then, Christine and I, and as many of you have heard before, Christine and I were married in this room, May 29th, 1970. Over the decades, while visiting my parents or attending family funerals, I frequently encountered again the religious views of my youth and often in an even more conservative form. At those services, I always sang the Christian hymns because I enjoy singing. I'm not one of those persons who looks ahead to see whether or not I agree with the words before I sing them. And as you well know, we sing lots of essentially Christian music as choir members because it's good music that works. But while I attended those services, my mind tended to search for areas of disagreement. So for quite a few years, I voluntarily cringed during large parts of the Christian church services. 
Consider a sermon message such as, there is eternal hope for you because Jesus Christ died for your sins. Therefore, you should repent and live a better life. For decades, what I heard most was the underlying threat of damnation and the carrot-on-a-stick promise of heaven. Eventually, my translating of messages got better. Eventually, I became more able, able to overlook the disagreements and more able to hear the message. I should lead a better life. In the first three years for Christine and I as you use, this congregation switched from a fellowship model with no minister and no desire to have one to a model of having a minister one weekend a month and then to a period of being a beneficiary of a UUA experiment in which we received a minister on loan from a large congregation for six months. That program no longer exists. Looking back now, I guess, successful ministers from congregations with 500 members are not likely to be the best ministers for changing a tiny fellowship into a church large enough to support a minister. In 1970, 1973, this congregation was a much more homogenous group, demographically and theologically. For instance, no one was then known to me as a pagan or Buddhist. Regarding the acceptance of different religious beliefs, on the one hand, that was then a smaller task when there were fewer religious differences. On the other hand, achieving that acceptance was a much more difficult task because we had less practice and less incentive. One to five unusual people out of a congregation of 50, 25 or 30 of whom maybe showed up on a good Sunday. Anyway, one out of five, one to five unusual people out of 50 can be hidden or unnoticed if they aren't large enough to be a cohesive group because some of them are over here and some of them are over there and they're not cohesive, you know. When we came back to this congregation in the 1990s, pagans and atheists were large enough to both be noticeable. In the mid-90s, I remember characterizing our theological spectrum with atheists on one end, pagans on the other, and with a center that was smaller than I had found in the other two congregations we had been members of while we were gone. For most of the uh, personal theology questions, we have different views, often wildly different views. Sometimes the expressions of those different views can open up personal acrimony. And there are plenty of other times, such as during Sunday services, when the public expression of views different from our own can lead to personal feelings of discomfort. You don't have to go to another denomination's church to be uncomfortable if you're a UU. You can do it right here. (laughs) 
Now our Sunday services cater to a wider variety of theological views. Catering to a particular theological group in a Sunday service directly feeds that group. But one result is other groups will either do more cringing or will need more translating on that Sunday. One of my personal goals is become able to worship with any group anywhere at any time. In that sense, I'm reminded of George Carlin, his bit about God Bless America, and his response to that after a very funny bit is, God bless everyone, everywhere, all the time. So one of my personal goals is to be able to worship with any group, anywhere, at any time. Worship, as in my sense of expressing primal reverence, and which does not inflict discomfort on the majority of people with whom I am worshiping. That is a goal because part of my personal theology includes a sound relationship with all of the people around me. I can hope they are here somewhat to assist me in my life journey, just as I hope I can be here somewhat to assist them in their life journey. I had a section which I'm going to skip because I figured out my sermon was too long. It's about the changes in language in our hymnal, in our principles, and things like this during that 50 years. Biggest change of which we made a huge change in regard to sexism in the language, both here in this church, in the church in Peoria and um, Beverly Shores, Indiana, and in our principles. The principles upon which the two denominations merged, that, that statement of principles was revised and to our current statement of principles first ratified in 1984 and then because it has to do twice finally ratified in 1985 uh, and it made, made a, a huge amount of difference in the language. The issue of inherent worth of each person is one of which is one principle on which I've had growth prodded by the UUs around me. The question for me stopped being, do you think a particular person such as Hitler should be or should have been put to death? The, that stopped being the question. The question became, would I be willing to be the executioner. And if not, how can I be in favor of capital punishment for that person? My biggest personal growth, and that's a pretty big change in growth for our all of the congregations as well, was the change in my attitude where people whose sexual orientation was not heterosexual. 
I remember my attitude toward a gay student minister who came to the UU Church in Peoria in the early 1980s as a ministerial intern. I had some minor concern that his presence might damage our reputation. It was a minor concern because he wasn't going to be there very long. His first name was Randall. I didn't know him well, but in the weeks and months that he was there, I came to characterize him as somewhat a loose cannon. Wherever he would eventually land as a minister, I knew he was going to stir things up. In the process of watching and thinking about Randall, I eventually realized his sexual orientation was not the most important thing about his personality. I still hoped the next UU minister in Peoria would not come with either gay or lesbian baggage. Several years later, I became acquainted with and very respectful of the Reverend Tony Larson, a very talented guy, a gay man, who was the longtime UU minister in Racine, Wisconsin. He's been here, by the way. Um, I remember in Peoria, a woman whose adult son became a transgendered daughter. She played cello in the Peoria Symphony. She didn't attend our church, but we knew about her. That helped change my attitudes. In the early 1990s, I watched from, from Cedar Falls while the Peoria Church experienced growth with an interim minister who was gay and very good as a minister. His first name was Dick, and I can't remember his last name. I only met him once. Later in the 1990s, when Michael Lorenz led us in becoming a congregation that would be welcoming to gay and lesbian and transgendered members, I was ready. That essential change in my attitude happened over a 10 to 12 year period. The biggest change from actually knowing people whose sexual orientation is not of the most common. I sort of also had a change in humility. <clears throat> the change or growth in my humility was not so much about a reduction in my belief in myself. My increased humility comes from a large growth in my belief in you. As I've seen that happen over the years in this UU congregation, in the early 70s, this congregation was much then, was much smaller and functioned often as a committee of the whole, with really long annual meetings. Really long because there was lots of nitpicking, way too much acrimony based on too many people believing they knew the way the best way to do everything. In effect, there was a lack of trust in each other. I don't know how the growth in our congregational attitudes took place. 
That mostly happened during the 17 years when Christine and I lived in Indiana and Illinois. Now in this congregation, we generally depend on each other to do the work entrusted to each. There is a much better recognition that good outcomes depend not on other people doing the work my way, but on, on, allowing, but on allowing other people the freedom to do the work their way. That change essentially happened before Reverend Rod Debs came, but he added to it with his idea that each of us should choose to do our personal ministry as our personal ministry, the church work we want to do. Then we can do church work not in response to someone else's desired outcomes, but according to our own vision. Of course, he knew, and we all know, there are some tasks which won't appeal to people, won't appeal to anyone's desired vision of a personal ministry. Rod hoped we could get enough personal fulfillment choosing some of the tasks as our personal ministry that each of us would also be willing to do some of the other tasks too, enough of the other tasks too. In my 50 years, I've been on the selection committee for three called ministers and one interim minister, three different congregations. With the results of two successes, one middling success, and one failure. Not here, by the way, in regard to the failure. I'm currently chair of the Religious Services Committee. I've probably been in that job for too long. If you want the job, <laughs> we should talk. Over the years, I've become fairly good at the care and feeding of ministers. I happen to really like ministers. Sometimes my support has produced good results, sometimes not. If what is needed is aggressive confrontation, then you need someone else. If you need understanding conciliation, I might be able to help. I'm good at cheering on our ministers. If you want or need someone to prod or strongly complain to the minister, I'm not the best person for that job. I helped Rod Debs make his ministry here at least a middling success. With Reverend Eva Cameron, maybe I helped her stay longer than she should have. But if Reverend Eva Cameron had left sooner, we wouldn't have Pastor Emma. <laughs> Where I've been successful, I certainly was not alone in my efforts. Where I was unsuccessful with others doesn't mean I wasn't unsuccessful. In conclusion, this congregation has always been a cooperative effort. Even when we work alone in our own area, our results work together. It is a team effort, 
allowing any of us the luxury to concentrate on one area, knowing the rest of us are taking care of the other areas. Everyone can be led to soul food, but you can't make them partake. What's in it for me mostly depends on what I put in. Part of a student's job is to learn from every teacher. Part of a congregant's job is to glean ministry from every minister. This has been the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists. The music is by Nathan Moore. If you want to learn more about the CVUU, visit our website at www.cedarvalleyuu.org. And you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at Cedar Valley UU. We welcome visitors from anywhere to virtually attend our services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you'd like to learn more about joining us for a service, send us an email at cvuupodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.